0: Back in middle school and high school, there were rumors about a game that was capable of calling forth demons. Why middle schoolers were so obsessed with the idea of calling forth such a thing remains understood only to middle schoolers. I would hear weird stuff like that all the time though. My family lived in a small town out in Wyoming. So the remoteness of the place brought on all sorts of odd stories. I never took much stock in all of that stuff. I just didn't believe in demons or any of those sort of stories. Don't get me wrong, I wasn't about to try the game myself. I just didn't believe it would lead to anything so fantastic and otherworldly. The kids would always talk about how they were going to try the game, and see what happened. But we never heard of anyone actually finishing it. The rules got pretty intense, and the idea of doing all those things to yourself only to summon forth something evil that could possibly kill everything seemed like a horrible idea. But, like I said, middle schoolers. Still, some kids still tried it, I guess that meant something. Like telling someone that the most horrible thing in the world was right behind a door. You could count how many people would still open the door. Maybe to disprove the horrible thing's existence. Maybe to see it for themselves. Maybe they had a different opinion on how horrible a thing like that could be. The game was called Orpheus's Lot. I know that sounds pretty deep for a kid's game, but we never knew where the name came from. One of the bits of lore surrounding the game was that whoever made it to the end would understand why it was called that. We all learned the game around 7th grade, but by the time I made it to high school, we started to hear rumors about kids actually completing it. None of us thought it was true. But none of us ever really knew what would happen either. The thought of someone finishing the game was pretty intriguing. There was this one boy named Danny who used to say he knew a lot about the game, that he had done it, and he had come close to finishing it by himself. The will required to finish the game by oneself was incomprehensible to most of us. The game was so odd and so gruesome in parts that you had to have a partner who could do those things to you. But Danny said he almost finished, that the last time he tried it, he got to the last step when he passed out. Danny was never the type of kid we considered popular. Not that I was one of those cool kids, but Danny was one of the lowest on the popular scale. Looking back on it, I don't believe Danny had any friends. My one friend Andrew would sit with Danny at lunch from time to time, but that was more out of pity, I think. Andrew was a good guy, and he probably thought Danny could use the help. Not only that, Andrew's parents were best friends with Danny's parents. They had gone to school together a couple of towns down, along with the Ericsons. But it wasn't like it was our fault. We weren't friends with Danny. It was as if he wanted everyone to think he was a weird kid. He'd act out in class and recite facts about wars and guns constantly. He wasn't the type of kid who was really in shape, but he almost exclusively talked about the military. He was pretty off. For the most part, we simply let Danny do his thing. There was one kid, though, That really hated Danny. It was almost like they were comic book enemies. The other's kid name was Erickson. He had a first name but no one called him by his first name. Erickson was pretty popular and he was the type of kid who would really go out of his way to make someone feel like a lesser human being. When Danny joined the soccer team Erickson quit baseball and joined soccer just to show up Danny. Anytime Danny tried to start a club or anything, Erickson would join it just to poke fun at Danny. Erickson was a pretty crappy kid. Even back then, everyone knew it, but for some reason, everyone also wanted him to like them. He had transcended the popularity contest to become what was popular. Everything he did was the cool thing to do. Anyways, Erikson had heard Danny bragging around that he had almost finished the game by himself. And just to call poor Danny out, Erikson exclaimed that he would finish the game by himself that night. None of us really knew what would happen. The rumor was that the game would bring up a demon, and that it would answer things for you. And after that, the demon would leave, because there was more than one person there. Doing the game by yourself would mean that the demon could attach itself to you though. With the two people together, there was some sort of reason the demon would not be able to stick around. Always thought it had something to do with the needing two people to make it work. A person wouldn't be able to do all the steps to the game themselves. Like the game was designed with that in mind. Danny didn't have any friends, so he had to do it alone. It was his only option. Looking back, I could see where his motivations were not only to meet the demon, but to be the kid who completed the game, and to have been the kid who did it by himself, who was able to do all of those things to themselves. So that night happens. And Erickson doesn't show up to school the next day, and neither does Danny. Days go by, and none of the kids at school had heard from Danny or Erickson. They had completely fallen off the grid. And a few days passed. Danny came to school with stitches and a huge scar on his face. We couldn't see the whole scar, because he was wearing an eye patch He was also missing a couple of his fingers. The rumor was that he had ripped his own eye out. The look Danny had on his face made me believe it. Danny didn't brag about anything. He didn't say a word. He was a different kid. No one even tried to ask him if he finished the game. Whether he had or not, none of us questioned his commitment. A few weeks after that, I was hanging out with my buddy Andrew. Andrew said Danny had talked to him about what had happened, and the story Danny told Andrew was so out there. Apparently, Danny was performing the steps of the game. He did the salt and the candles, the drawings with the chalk, the urine, the drinking, all of the steps we knew. Danny said he had performed all the steps for the three hours we thought they were supposed to be performed, and then he started the last part, the cuttings. The last part was tricky, because every kid who knew a lot about the game seemed to make up his own stuff once the cutting step began. Danny believed that the face was crucial, and he was prepared to go all the way. Danny said he cut into the skin of his face, and the moment the first drop of blood touched the pentagram, Danny lost all control of his body. He said he was still kneeling there, but he wasn't controlling his hand. He didn't have any power over the knife, and it slid all the way down his forehead. When he got to his eye, he said he tried to resist, but he just couldn't. The knife slid down and cut through his closed eyelid and into his eye socket. He used the knife to work the eye and his other hand yanked the eye out and squeezed the juice into the center of the pentagram on the floor. Danny described it as the most painful thing he could even imagine, but having to endure it was taxing on his mind. He said he didn't know what was going to happen next. That he may have been in shock. That he was afraid he would go insane. His floor did some really odd things. And the pentagram did something too. But Danny wasn't very specific with the steps or the ceremonies involved at that point. The demon appeared after that. The demon pulled itself out of the ground. From the center of the pentagram almost as if the ground were made of some sort of liquid. It was a slow process. Once it was through the portal, the ground solidified and the demon leaned back on its hooves in a crouch. It had golden eyes. The demon stretched its neck and forced itself to yawn to stretch its jaw. Danny said he didn't have a face, just mouth, and the eyes, but not a face that could be remembered. Danny couldn't turn away from it. He still had no control over his body. The demon moved toward Danny and put its hands over Danny's stomach. It blinked and Danny had his shirt off. It was looking Danny in the eye when suddenly the demon looked down and turned to look at the floor. It jumped back through the floor, and Danny said it was as if nothing had ever happened. That his shirt was even back on. Danny ran to his parents crying, and they took him to the emergency room. He rested a few days and came back to school. Andrew said Danny told the story as if it were all for real. But we never really trusted Danny about that sort of stuff. Not that he was a bad kid, just that we knew he liked to talk about things and spew facts from magazines that probably weren't always facts. It was just the kid Danny was. Maybe he even believed it was all true at the time. Danny was never really the same kid at school. He was a lot more quiet. He even made a few more friends once he was calmer all the time. Andrew would talk to me about it every once in a while. He said Danny would sometimes call him really late at night and say how he was freaked out about all this or that. Talked about crosses and religion a lot. Danny was pretty sure he was damned for getting as far in the game as he did. Anyways, then the police report came out about Erickson and the entire town talked about it. Everyone knew. Danny went missing for another day, and the rumor after that was that the feds had come in and were questioning everyone involved. Erickson's parents were suspected, but the evidence all showed that Erickson had done all of the things to himself, and his body. Erickson had gone home the same night as Danny had, and had done all of the rituals, He poured the wax on himself. He sliced open his lip. He broke one of his toes. He did all of the brutal steps we had heard of. He had actually done it. When Eric's parents found Erickson's body, he was laying on the floor of his bedroom, on top of the pentagram drawn in chalk. He had sliced himself up with a knife from their kitchen. He was holding his eyes in his hands, and an eye per hand. His stomach had been sliced wide open. The hole in his gut was in the shape of a pentagram. His genitals were in his mouth. His parents were pretty quiet about it. No one in the town ever saw them, and none of us blamed them for anything. The feds didn't convict the parents. Andrew said his parents went over to the Erickson house and tried to console them. The only thing the Ericsson said about it all was that Erickson never screamed. There were no sounds of warning. They simply found him there on the floor the next morning with his intestines pulled out, covering the floor. A few years after that, Danny killed himself in much the same way. Doorbells are not inherently scary. The doorbell rings. The door is answered. Of course, what's on the other side of the door can change the interaction significantly. I'm a house painter by trade. Generally, I work by myself or with Joe. A middle-aged silent type. He's a nice guy, a talented painter, and a devout Christian. It's funny to think his faith actually has little to do with what happened that day. It was a Wednesday afternoon. The entire day was spent hanging drywall, completely covering the ceilings of two bedrooms. If you've ever covered a ceiling in drywall, We can swap stories of shoulder pain and screw shards in our fingers later. Two women lived in the house, with its crackling walls, dusty everything, and strange ability to cast shadows in a room facing direct sunlight. Somewhat elderly women, sisters I think, I wasn't too sure, kind women, but they had a tendency to walk completely in sync with one another. It was like, if you've ever seen the movie, Don't Look Now, it reminded me of the old women in that. Man, that was a pretty good movie. It used suspense effectively, but after a while, the lack of anything happening became a bit mundane. Oh, sorry, I'm rambling. I daydream when I'm at work, so documenting the day brings out the talker in me, but anyway, the woman had left for several hours. No idea where they went, but judging by the empty lorazepam bottles and compulsive conversations about death on the news, I'd say nowhere important. Just getting away from the loneliness and depression that is the Philadelphia suburbs for a while. So, it was myself, Joe, and a dying radio set to the oldies, The radio would turn to static whenever I walked by it. Only me, which I found odd, I joked in my head about the possibility of being a demon. These are the things one thinks about while screwgunning a 400th spiral into gypsum. Spiral into gypsum would actually be a decent band name, honestly. There I go again, rambling. The stories never stop aboard this train of thought. The doorbell rang. Joe called from the other room. Hey Dave, mind grabbing that? My hands are full. Should we really be answering the door with the homeowners gone? Well, no. I suppose whoever it is can always come back. Silence. Come help me dry fit this. I sigh. Knowing soon I'll be holding my arms above my head for a lot longer than I'd want. One hour passes, and the women haven't come home. We've exhausted our drywall surplus upstairs, so Joe charges me to run downstairs to grab another sheet myself. Maneuvering a cumbersome piece of sheetrock is not something I'm excited about, but the sooner we finish, the sooner I can kill all that ice cream in my freezer since I'm basically a child, fucking sue me. Charging down the stairs, I stop. The front door is covered by a thin curtain, obscuring the window in it somewhat, but the sunlight pouring through outlines a silhouette on the other side of the door. I cock an eyebrow, as if anybody can see my confusion. Whoever happened to be standing there was completely still, So I decided to assume it was one of the women on their porch, admiring the bland street corner. It's funny how we instantly rationalize what we don't understand. It isn't so much that we make sense of the world, but we invent our own reality where nothing bad can happen. My hand gripped the tarnished handle and turned, pulling the door open to reveal a man in a black suit a suit that would have been more at home two hundred years prior. He was wearing a bowler hat and looked vaguely similar to an elderly Sinatra. His voice, however, was not from the chairman, deep and leaving a bitter taste in my mouth. Hello, friend. I started to think you would never answer the door. It was at this point, I should have closed the door in his face. But frankly, I don't think it would have changed the events that followed. I didn't know you were there this whole time. You a friend of Maureen's? He had to know the homeowner somehow, right? Right. Breathe and remember. Rationalize. No. I'm just here to deliver an envelope to a... Joe Haas. Is that what that says? The man pulled some reading glasses from his pocket. Yes, Joe Haas. Do you happen to be Joe? No, I'm not Joe. But I could take this to him if you'd like. He's right upstairs. I can't allow you to touch this envelope. But if you would allow me to come in... I'd be more than happy to deliver the envelope and be on my way. I heard steps behind me. I was wondering when Joe would get impatient. Dave, where's the dry wa- Who's that? It's not Borden, but this envelope is for Joe Haas. Would you be Joe Haas? The old man was exceedingly pleasant. Cracking a smile without a hint of malice. I am Joe approached the man as one would approach a leper. He snapped the off white envelope, opening it at arm's length. This is anthrax. I'm making sure you die with me, old man. Joe was also a conspiracy theorist. The man just grinned. It's nothing of the sort. But I appreciate the humor. Joe removed a single piece of paper from the envelope, reading it aloud, brutally grimacing. It isn't solar storms. It isn't demons. It isn't nuclear. Then what the fuck is it? I just deliver the messages. The old man gave a stiff wave before collapsing into a pathetic heap. The police arrived promptly, pulling up in a storm of light and sound. They took statements from each of us, surveyed the area. The homeowners came back, obviously horrified an old man died on their porch. This was made more bizarre by the woman asserting that they had never before seen the unfortunate visitor. The old man was a complete stranger to everyone, apparently. He had nothing in his pockets, no tags on his clothes, no fingerprints. His teeth were dentures with no label or serial number branded onto them. The cops fidgeted for a while, taking pictures shooting their guns at each other in a weird take on a water gun fight, punching stray animals. We all joined in. it was a great time. I'm kidding, but the officers really didn't know what to do. So naturally they told us to call them if anything else happened. They were gone. Maureen's supposed sister had gone upstairs to lie down. Joe, myself and Maureen made awkward small talk, having no stake in this old man and wanting to banish the ordeal from memory. Joe made no mention of the envelope to the police or to the sisters. Eventually, we all decided the best course of action was for Joe and I to go ahead and continue working. I wish we left. I was working in the front bedroom, so I pushed the door open not remembering having closed it, but telling myself I'm forgetful sometimes. There was Marine's sister Diana, lying dead on the floor, eyes wide, chest and stomach sliced open, revealing a bloodless cavity. Her arm was propped up with a wooden board, forcing it to point directly at the ceiling, One of the pieces of drywall had a new arrangement of nails. The black heads all gathered in a pentagram. It appeared to be bleeding, red fluid dripping from the old nail holes. I guess I should mention the rest of the room. Diana wasn't the only dead body. One of the police officers and two people I had never seen before all lay dead and empty pointing up to the ceiling. The furniture, which only consisted of a bed and a desk, were covered in sheets. Joe's tools, two different sized pliers, a drywall saw, a drill, and a painter's putty knife sat neatly on top of the desk. The bed was covered in envelopes. It may have been a gut reaction to the scene, but Joe ran frantically to the envelopes tearing each one open like a spoiled kid on Christmas. It isn't Satan. It isn't monsters. It isn't demons. It isn't serial killer. It isn't aliens. The envelopes all contain variations of the trope, gradually turning Joe's tone from urgent to pleading. He collapsed into tears. My heart was racing. But until you've seen something atrocious, you don't know how you would react. Maureen vomited before passing out on the floor. I stood still, sweating, wringing my hands. The vice grip in my chest signaled a panic attack. What do I do now? What did this? Then Joe opened the last envelope. This one was completely black, buried beneath the others. Unlike the previous letters, this one was opened with care. The vigor was gone. Joe stood still for a while before turning to look out the window. Where I was situated at the door, I couldn't see what he was looking at, but I didn't need to see it. Get the fuck out of here now! Joe turned to me in a frenzy, running towards the door as I heard shattering glass. I glanced back as I flew down the stairs, only to see Joe clawing at the hardwood floor, nails tearing off into cascading blood. He was being dragged by a scabbed hand with long, yellowing nails. I didn't see what the hand belonged to, but it didn't matter. I thought of going back to save Maureen. But as I plowed through the front door, her body exploded from the window above me, the sound of bones cracking and ripping accompanied by the unnatural bounce of the corpse. Run, little rabbit. It's hunting season. Monotonous tone. Sour taste in my mouth. The taste of garbage and hate. Not my own hate. I threw open my car door remembering suddenly that my battery had been temperamental lately. One turn of the key, grinding sounds, two turns of the key, grinding sounds, three turns of the key, no sounds. I looked up at the second floor window, feeling eyes on me. Being parked across the street, the view of the window was clear enough to make out an abnormally large head given that appearance by a mass of matted, straw-like black hair. The hair obscured all facial features, except the scarred, dirty cheeks and jaw, adorned with... Well, it wasn't a smile. The mouth was open, displaying gritted, caramel teeth. The expression didn't indicate any emotions. Four turns... The window gazer slithered from the window, limbs being used in the wrong way to exit onto the overhang above the front door. Five turns. The window gazer reached a scabbed hand onto the drain pipe, attempting to slide down the pipe upside down. The nails and brackets on the tube tore flesh from the thing, dripping blood onto the pavement in a sinister shower. Six turns. The thing lay still on the ground for several seconds, before wildly flailing its bony body parts, the whole time seemingly training that eyeless gaze on me. Mouth still open, teeth still gritted, blood still leaking from fresh wounds. Seven turns, lucky seven, the car came to life, turning the corner and I was gone, right into traffic. Fuck, 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 fuck! Cars in front, cars behind. I glanced behind me, expecting to see the beast wandering towards the main road. Instead, I saw Maureen and Diane pull their car around the block. My phone buzzed. It was Joe. H- Hello? Where the fuck are you, man? I... You... You're okay? The fuck are you talking about? You ran to your car all panicky. I'm concerned for you. I pulled the car to the side of the road, staring at my hands for no reason other than that they existed. The phone was still on. Joe asked if I was there, but I couldn't manage to bring myself to answer. Was it really Joe? I decided to ask him one thing. What did it say in the last envelope? Static for a second, then a sour taste in my mouth. I knew I wasn't going back to that house. It's curiosity. Uncle Dominic, what happened to your brother? I sort of froze up and paused madam. Tommy wasn't my actual nephew, but actually my cousin's seven-year-old son. But even though I'm only 19, I proudly tout Tommy as my nephew. Um, I don't think that's a story that I can tell you. Maybe your dad would tell you. Even if I told him, he wouldn't understand. Plus, I wouldn't want him to actually try to understand. But he's your brother. Shouldn't you tell me? Damn, he makes a good point. I pulled him close to me. Listen, you ask your dad if I can tell you the story. And if he says yes, I will. Okay, he said gleefully. I knew that the smile he was wearing would quickly go away as soon as I told him the story. I resumed Madden and proceeded to get beat. That night, I realized that I was glad that Tommy brought up Zach. In case anything happened to me, I've always wanted to write down the true story. So around eight that night, I powered up my computer and started writing. I was ten, Zach was nine, and Craig, Tommy's father, was fourteen. I still remember what Grandpa Bill told us a day before it happened. Just promise me that you three won't mess around in the attic. I have a lot of things up there that I don't want touched. We were up north because Grandpa was dying. Grandpa's house was more like a cabin, but a bit more modern looking. We didn't need Grandpa to tell us not to play in the attic. Nearly every adult there told us that at least twice. So what did the three of us do? Played in the damn attic as soon as the six adults took Grandpa for a walk. The attic was absolutely huge. It wasn't cluttered either. Sure, a lot of junk was stacked against the wall, but the rest of the attic was carpeted. At the very end, next to the window, they even had a TV and a rocking chair set up. We immediately started going through the stuff on the side. We were specifically looking for carnival stuff. I should probably mention that my grandfather was a ringmaster at a carnival back in the mid-50s. I was looking through old sideshow posters. Zach was holding a shrunken head in a jar, and Craig was trying on an old strongman uniform when we heard a loud thump behind us. As soon as I turned around, my heart nearly jumped out of my chest. An old cowboy puppet was leaning against something very large. It was covered by a big white sheet. I took a step towards the back and the puppet moved. Its head started spinning uncontrollably. Craig, Zach and I were screaming. This went on for a good 10 seconds before a loud, billowing laugh from behind the sheet interrupted us. I was about to hear his voice for the first time. Don't be afraid children, it's not real. As soon as the voice said that, the puppet began to dematerialize. Who's there? Craig tried to sound tough, but he was shitting his pants. Remove the sheet. I think I know who you are. You're William's grandson, right? I hadn't noticed that the voice had a Russian accent until then. Yes, we are. Zach managed to squeak out. Splendid, I'm a friend of your grandfather, so please remove the sheet. So, please remove the sheet. Zack bolted to the back of the room. Craig and I tried to grab him, but we were too slow. I almost closed my eyes as soon as Zack ripped away the sheet. I honestly wish I had. The sheet was covering a large cage But in place of metal bars, large panes of glass surrounded the cage. It reminded me of Silence of the Lambs. But inside the cage, inside the cage was the creature that was going to destroy my life. It had a human head and a face. Hell, its face looked like a young Malcolm McDowell, but it had a single blood red horn jutting from its forehead. It was also wearing a fancy suit, but its hands were also creepy. They were very skinny, while he was in general, and instead of fingernails, he had claws that resembled huge needles. It was very tall, but it was sitting down in a leather chair. It put down its coffee mug on the end of the table next to it. Does my appearance frighten you? All three of us nodded in unison. What are you? I asked. A huge grin grew over its face. Let me introduce myself the way William used to introduce me. It then stood. Yeah, it was definitely 6'11", and it cleared its throat. throat. Ladies and gentlemen, Allow me to introduce you to Ivan Moratas. The product of an unholy union between a demon and a poor Russian woman. Gaze at his odd appearance. He can project hallucinations into this world that nearly everyone sees real. Don't get too close though. His sitting body temperature will burn you. Ivan murdered six men and women in 1942. I saved him from a Russian prison. Well, rather, I saved the other inmates. Ivan then clapped his hands together, which caused a small fireball. At this point, Zack was hiding behind me. Are, are you bad? Craig asked Ivan. Oh, my dear boy. I can answer that once I'm out of here. Ivan said with a smirk. As soon as he said that, all three of us heard heavy footsteps behind us. We all turned around to see a large man in a horse mask running at us. Zack freaked out and rammed into the side door of the cage. I watched as a glowing red necklace fell off the padlock. The masked man vanished, but a loud bang attacked my eardrums next. What happened next is still a blur for me. I remember Ivan breaking through the door, holding Zack in the air. Zack going limp. Then I got up and ran at Ivan. Ivan simply looked at me and I flew backwards. I saw blood coming from Zack's mouth so I started crying. Ivan then dropped Zack and started walking towards me. Then. The attic door swung open, and I saw a figure sprinting towards Ivan. I shook my head a few times before I realized that it was my grandfather. Impossible. Grandpa could barely stand just a few hours earlier. But I didn't care. Grandpa pulled out a knife with a red blade and plunged it into Ivan's back. Ivan and Grandpa took turns stabbing each other, Ivan with his claws, as Grandpa tried to wrangle the weakened monster back into its cage. As soon as he did, Grandpa collapsed. We buried both Grandpa and Zach in the same week. Only five months later, right after his 15th birthday, Craig accidentally got his girlfriend pregnant. Here I am now, almost eight years later. I sat back in my computer chair. I felt sick reading over every other word I had just written. I was so focused on the computer that I hadn't even noticed a little girl standing next to me. Blood dripped from her eye sockets and it would vanish as it made contact onto my floor. I requests request your company, she said sternly. Tell him the fuck off, I saw him last week. The girl vanished after I said that. So yup, I live with the monster that killed my brother, well my parents do. After grandpa and Zach died that day, they requested that Ivan be put in their basement. Our main job is to contain Ivan, to make sure that he cannot hurt anyone. It turns out that Ivan's biggest weakness is a rock called Rilania. You can't create it by performing a certain spell on an average rock. The knife that my grandpa stabbed Ivan with actually had bits of Rinalia dust inside the blade. I hit save on my document when my phone rang. It was Craig. Hey Craig, what's up? I, uh, heard that Tommy asked about Zach. I told him that if he wanted the story, then you'd have to say yes. I'm actually wondering if Tommy could come over and meet him. Wait, you want him to meet Ivan already? If something ever happens to you and your parents, he's coming to live with me, so Yes. Your parents aren't coming home for a couple of days, so I would like Tommy to meet Ivan. I heard Ivan cackling from the basement. Alright, come over by noon tomorrow. I gotta go. Bye. I hung up and set my phone on my chair. I walked over to the basement door, unlocked all five of the locks and headed downstairs. Walking into the basement was like a surreal trip. The same girl that had been sitting next to me tried to hug me as soon as I got to the bottom of the stairs. A killer clown ran at me with a knife. A young, emaciated woman with flies covering her face begged me for help as I walked by her. These apparitions used to shock me, but I've gotten used to them. I walked straight for the safe room that my father built. Ivan's cage is very old, so his magic had been seeping out a bit. Do you really have to do all of this? I asked him. I've got nothing else to do. I walked over to a shelf and picked up a bag of Rilania gravel. So I have something to tell you. He raised his hand in the air. "'Your cousin's son is coming to meet me,' I heard. "'I stepped onto the stepladder behind the cage "'and held the bag next to the little vent that goes into his cage. "'If you ever had any shred of decency, "'you will make all this shit go away.' "'Ivan looked through the vent and said, "'But then he won't meet the real me.' "'I dumped a bit of gravel through the vent.' Little pieces bounced off his skin as he howled in pain. Next to the step ladder, a wolf and a zombie were both reaching for me. I mean it! I screamed. Ivan still wincing in pain, snapped his fingers, and the surreal atmosphere of the basement went away. I thanked Ivan and began to walk away. Wait, Dominic! He yelled at me. I turned around slightly. Just don't let me out of the cage this time. Ivan said with a wink and a grin. I flipped him off and went upstairs. That night was the first night in six months that I didn't encounter any of Ivan's creations. I got an amazing night's sleep that night. The next morning I had to get to the house ready for Tommy. I wasn't sure how he was going to react, but I wanted to make him feel comfortable. Around 10.30am, a a blood covered contortionist crawled towards me as I was eating breakfast. Ivan says that he needs formal clothing, she said in her snake like tone. No. He's already has enough suits. Tell him to just wait. The contortionist nodded and evaporated. I spent the next hour and a half trying to figure out what Tommy might ask me. Finally, I heard a car pull into my driveway at 12.14. Greg and Tommy rushed in the house. The rain was pretty bad. Craig instructed Tommy to go sit on the couch. He then pulled me aside. Do you think he'll behave? Craig asked me. When the fuck has he ever behaved? But if he tries to screw with Tommy, then I'll give him a nice bath. Craig squeezed my shoulder, and we sat on the couch. I talked to Tommy and tried to explain what was going to happen. I told him that my brother was killed by someone his great-grandfather knew. I explained that Ivan was a bad, person and that sadly if anything happened to me Ivan would be moving to their house. I also tried to explain exactly what Ivan was. Before we went to the basement I reminded Tommy that anything he sees outside the cage is not real and that they won't hurt him. The walk down the stairs seemed to take forever. Different monsters stood on each side and stared at us Tommy covered his eyes in fear Fresh meat I heard Ivan say from the safe room Before we entered the actual safe room Greg told Tommy that he wanted him to stay away from the cage But once we opened that door Tommy's mouth dropped open That's a demon? Why yes son I am Ivan responded in a rude tone. I walked over to the shelf and grabbed the bag. You killed my uncle's brother, Tommy said in his tough guy voice. Yes, I did. I clawed right through his little throat. Just then, Ivan conjured up my brother's body. It was very graphic. Craig immediately put his hands over Tommy's eyes as I ran up to the top. I poured rocks in there until Ivan agreed to stop. just having a little fun with the boy. "'If they take me in, they'll have to deal with this stuff,' Ivan growled. "'Ivan, we won't hurt you as long as you promise you will never hurt my family again,' Craig shouted. "'Well, what's the fun in that?' I've terrorized Dominic's parents to the brink of divorce. And now I'm working on destroying Dominic's life. I'm having way too much fun with this. I then went on a spree of pouring rocks into the cage. I kept asking him if he thought this was fun also. I wanted to keep going. I wanted to cause him more pain. But I didn't want to set a bad example for Tommy. Hey kid... Ivan yelled to Tommy. What's that? He pointed at the ceiling. All three of us nearly shed our pants when we saw a giant frogman hanging from the ceiling. Feast, Ivan said calmly. It took a good five minutes, but Craig and I were able to make it disappear. But unbeknownst to us, Ivan talked to Tommy into talking to him. I saw Tommy go for the padlock, so I basically threw Tommy out of the way, grabbed a pistol that sat on the shelf, and loaded it with Relania bullets. What are you going to do, kill me? Ivan asked smugly. I fired a warning shot at his leg. It hit, and Ivan was sent reeling. That's it, Ivan screamed, he snapped his fingers and a collection of monsters, killers, and supernatural beings all filled the room. Greg and Tommy got into the fetal position as I screamed. Enough! Find your own family to fuck up! I don't want to. I chose you guys because of William. He sounded so cold as he said that. Why? Tommy squeaked. It was weird, I thought. He would have been a lot more scared than he was letting on. I've his head and rubbed his horn. What do you mean? If you were put in there for being a bad person, why are you mad at us? Because your family is stupid to think that this cage will hold me forever. If they try to put me somewhere else, I'll kill them as soon as they unlock my door. Maybe it'll be you that I can feast on when you get older. Ivan then stared at Craig. Plus, being stuck in this for so long really doesn't make me want to be friendly. I stepped closer. So, all you want to be is free. You'd kill people. Ivan practically smushed his face against the glass but they'll be out of your hair. I was seriously thinking about saying yes. I turned to ask Craig what he thought, but I stopped in mid-turn. Something wasn't right. I didn't see anything glowing near the side door. Fuck. I moved too fast to get the pistol that I had knocked the necklace off. I whipped my head around and stared at Ivan. Ivan. He began shifting in various freaks. Strongman, dwarf, snake boy, lobster boy, Siamese twins, tree man, missing link, and then finally back to himself. He stared at me in those eyes as he raised his right arm. Time seemed to slow down as I saw the side door smash up. I don't know if Ivan did it, but Zack slowly materialized on the other side of the cage, and walked towards me. I think I heard Craig run upstairs with Tommy, but I was stuck staring at Zach. He outstretched his hand, and so did I. As soon as they touched, I felt searing pain in my leg. The next thing I knew, I was flying through the air. Dozens of monsters, freaks, and loved ones were staring at me as I was flying towards the wall. I also saw Ivan sprinting towards the stairs, then black. I woke up in an ambulance. Craig and Tommy sat on the seat next to me. I looked at Craig inquisitively, so Craig said. He just left. I then looked down at my right leg. It was burnt all to hell. My skin was still bubbling. I passed out again. This all happened about a month ago. They were able to save my leg. It just looks like Freddy Krueger's head. When my parents came home, they were initially pissed. But with Ivan gone, the house is much less of a David Lynch movie and more of a home. In order to protect Tommy, Craig moved into my parents' house. We filled a ton of small vials with renalia dust and actually put it inside the doorways. We haven't had any Ivan issues since he left though. Tommy isn't traumatized necessarily, but I don't think he was ready for all of that. Is Ivan out there doing harm to other people? Probably. But would I rather have him here than out there? Hell no. That may be selfish, but that monster has been our problem for over 50 years, and I think we deserve the chance to live without that burden. Why didn't he kill the three of us? I honestly don't know, and that pisses me off more than everything. Why did he spare us when he had no qualms with killing my brother? But honestly, I'd rather be rid of him than have closure. I've always been a happy child, eager to learn about new things and willing to help anyone in need. I loved almost everyone. People literally thought I was the kid from heaven. That's why my parents thought my behavior to be slightly unusual a while after my 13th birthday. A few months had passed since the day I turned 13, and friends and family noticed my attitude towards simple things started to change. For example, my mother forgot to pick up my mascara at the store, which made me somewhat mad, so I grunted and locked myself in my room that night. My friends didn't mind much, but my parents weren't so sure, they shrugged it off as being normal for kids my age and let it go. Time went by and my behavior started getting worse. I would slam doors, ignore pretty much everyone occasionally and sneak out of the house to take long walks out to who knows where. This is when I was only about 14. Eventually my parents caught me sneaking out And decided I didn't get to have a phone until I learned to obey my parents' rules. I'm an only child, so my parents are a lot more strict on what I can and can't do in terms of leaving the house. Let's just say I didn't get my phone back for a while. By the age of 15 or 16, I became very manipulative and deceiving. I would find ways to get out of trouble while also tricking my parents into spoiling me, although I didn't deserve it. I got aggressive, violent, and scary to the point where my own parents were afraid of me. My house was always filled with constant screaming and yelling from all of the arguments I'd start with them. One time, I even punched a hole straight through the wall, which really raised hell. My parents decided they were fed up with me, and to call over my uncle who works as a psychologist two towns over. Little did my parents know, he was also a medium, meaning he is able to see and communicate with spirits. When my uncle arrived at our house, he talked to my parents about the situation for about 30 minutes to an hour. But I noticed every five minutes or so, he would glance over at me with a worried look on his face. After they were done, my uncle pulled me aside to our guest bedroom and closed the door behind us. I took a seat on the bed, but he stood a distance away from me. So, did they tell you I'm crazy or something? Because I'm not. I said a bit nervously. I hadn't seen my uncle for a long time, and the look he gave me was a bit unsettling. He just stood there silent, then he left the room hastily, and brought back a vintage Polaroid that I'm sure he brought himself, because I'd never seen that anywhere in my house before. Oh, you want to take my mug shot or something now? Hold still, he said in a very serious but quiet and low voice, almost as if he were trying not to be heard. I sat absolutely still while he took my picture. It started to print slowly, and once it came out, he waited very impatiently for the photo to develop. Once the photo developed, he stared at it for a while, nervously looking back and forth from me to the picture. Let me see it, I said irritated. He handed me the picture. at first I didn't understand what the big deal was, until I saw it. It was hard to notice when you glance over the picture, but as you look closely, you can see it very clearly. In the picture, slightly blurry, but you can see a black, human-like figure hanging on my back with its arms wrapped around my neck. They had no hair, no clear facial features, or any features for that matter. I realized my hands started to tremble as I looked up at my uncle in shock of what the picture had revealed. What? What is that there? I stuttered, pointing to the figure in the picture. It's a demon, my uncle said flatly kind of demon is it? Am I going to get possessed or some shit? Demons don't possess. They only influence. You can't get rid of these demons. But you can. Change the way that they influence you. But the truth is. That they aren't really called demons. They're called life.